This is episode number 026 of the Reno Slant. I told you to get off the tracks, Mountain West. I warned you. And now Jordan Caroline's coming through. Welcome to the Reno Slant, the podcast for Northern Nevada sports fans, where an award-winning sports writer and his Nevada alum brother discuss Nevada football, Nevada basketball, and, well, pretty much everything else Nevada, except for the Loyalist Chicago tournament game. We don't talk about that. Here are your bro hosts, Adam and Nathan Schaub. Colorado State is done with Nevada. Just, just done with Nevada. Wolfpack has now scored 198 points in two games versus the Rams this year. Uh, Nevada improved to 22 and one Wednesday night with a 98-82 win over the Rams on the road. Jordan Caroline is a monster. 30 points in the first half, 40 points for the game. So Adam and I will share our thoughts on Wednesday night's route. And then we're really excited about our guests this week. Talking bracketology, specifically Nevada bracketology. Over the last five years, he's been the most accurate bracketologist in the country. More accurate than Joe Lenardi, more accurate than Jerry Palm, more accurate than Stuart Mandel, Sports Illustrated, list goes on and on. His name is Dave Amon. He's the founder of Bracketville, and he knows what's what. So had an awesome chat with Dave. Where does he have Nevada right now in the field? How bad potentially would another Mountain West loss hurt if Nevada were to drop another game in the regular season? And what's the highest seed Nevada can ultimately get? And what needs to happen for that for Nevada to get there? So a really great conversation with Dave. And then Nevada is back at it on Saturday, back in Reno at Lawler. And we know who they're playing. They got New Mexico for the first time since the debacle at the pit. First week of January tip. On Saturday at 3 p.m., what do we need to know or remember about the Lobos? Who's our favorite player now on the other roster? What are the keys to a Nevada win and predictions as well? Also this week, the Nevada football schedule was released, so Adam and I are going to share our thoughts on the schedule. What we think is, uh, at least what I think, is a pretty nice schedule for, for Nevada next year. Some opportunity there for certain. For slants. Saying goodbye to football season. Super Bowl was on Sunday. It wasn't so super, though. So Adam and I will share our thoughts on what we loved and hated about the 2018-2019 football season. We're bringing back, hey, I remember you, games of the weekend, social, and random Reno. But first, we got our iTunes five-star review of the week. And for the second straight week, we were shut out. Blanked. Donut. We're trying to give you guys our money. We're trying to do it, trying to give you glory, power, fame, all of it. (laughs) Help help us help you. Uh, So next week, the prize swells to $3. Whoever leaves the iTunes five-star review of the week is going to get $3 uh, via Venmo. So if you're listening on iTunes, just scroll down, write a review. takes about three minutes, and you'll be in the running for the iTunes five-star review of the week next week. So, dude, we'll, we'll get into Colorado State here real quick, but you're cracking me up on Twitter on Monday night, just going berserk over the ending to the Iowa State-Oklahoma game. You were on the short end of that, what is now a conspiracy. The shot was clearly after the clock. So, uh, what's going on right now? <laughs> there was a lot of things running through my mind after watching that game. Um I was actually showing my girlfriend around Nevada's campus at the time, 
and we were at the Knowledge Center, had to sit down and watch the last couple seconds. I honestly, she will confirm, I threw my phone. <laughs> I have not done that in a while. Uh, the other part of it, too, was that watching it in real time, I even said that I thought he got it off late. I was like, yeah. I don't think that's real. And I was texting my buddy, uh, uh, Snow, Jared Snow, and we I, we started talking. I was like, I told him, I was like, I'm not waiting until anything goes official. I'm going to go home, check the highlights and stuff. But shot blatantly late, completely missed call. Yeah. I mean, people started arguing it on Twitter and everything. But ultimately what happened, there was a guy on Barstool who called the Big 12 commissioner, commissioner. Yeah. or assistant commissioner, whatever he ended up being. Commissioner said because the outcome of the outcome of the game wasn't affected, they won't change the score, but they admit that he got it wrong. Ironically, it was the same ref tonight at the Creighton Villanova game that Creighton got off a layup as clock had already expired. They counted the two points and that screwed up the spread for Villanova as well. So start digging a little deeper. <laughs> I'm thinking something's going on, and I'm thinking something's going on to the point that I still have my Iowa State tickets. I love this. Conspiracy theory, Adam, in full force right now. There's something going on, something fishy. <laughs> Where I was going to mention it a little bit about the Colorado State game. There's just a couple little clues that make you think something's going on. And, I, I mean, you know you're more... de- You know you're deep in the gambling game. When you're trying to connect dots now across conferences, you have Mountain West, the Nevada cover tonight was, was fishy. You mm-hmm. have the Big East and you got the Big, 12. the Big 12. Well, at first I was thinking that there wasn't really anything too correlated. Then when I found out it was the same ref in the Big East Big 12 matchup, I mean, then obviously Twitter is not the best source of information because you have a bunch of degenerates like me who are tweeting out of emotion. <laughs> but. It's just harder because then once you get stuck in those rat holes that you start thinking and believing these people. But long story short, I lost 250 bucks and I'm still heated. I will not forget that. Woof. Brutal. All right. Let's cheer. Let's move on to some happier events. Nevada, Wednesday night. It's two weeks in a row now. Nevada is just steamrolling people. 98-82 win at Colorado State. The final score is a little bit deceiving. It was within three points in the second half. So Nevada's now 22-1, and 9-1 and one in Mountain West play. Wolfpack's won eight in a row since the debacle at New Mexico. Uh, what, what's something that you took away from this one? Well, tonight was a little different from what we've seen throughout the course of the season. This is one of those games where Nevada really just showed out from the gates mm-hmm. and was – Hitting, I, I don't remember exactly what Caroline was from three pointer in the first half. I think he six was six for four, six, six for six in the first half. I mean, that's just insane. So they had that 11 point lead and then it was one of the games where it's in the second half. They kind of, yeah, not slumped, but they definitely didn't perform as well as they did in the first. And that's, I mean, the same as Nevada football, kind of the same thing we've seen in the beginning of this basketball season is that they've really been a second half team. Yeah. You know, second, second part of the game. So that was, Definitely interesting. It was nice to see it. So anybody who had the first half spread, pure props or props to you. But yeah, definitely a, a rougher second half for the team. This offense now, it's ridiculous what they've done in the last four games since the Air Force performance. Nevada's averaging ninety-five points per game playing college basketball. That is Woo! ridiculous. 
how, how well this team is playing offensively right now. I mentioned Jordan Caroline. That was, I, I just tweeted at one point, like, this is hilarious watching what he was doing because he, he, he was unconscious, unconscious, mm-hmm. could, could not miss. And it was still it was crazy that, you know, it was only an 11 point game at the half. Um, we'll get to the defense here in, in a little bit, but yeah, he scored 30 of his 40 in the first 20 minutes. Now leads the Mountain West all time for career double doubles. I think he's at 41 now. It's just I- incredible what he has accomplished at Nevada. How much he's changed the tra- trajectory of this program. Um, mm-hmm. just been awesome to watch him. Caleb, 25 points despite going one of nine from deep. Uh, I thought there was a few shots tonight where it was kind of more first half of the season, threes a little bit more forced, um, but still finished with 25 points. And uh, is that my phone yelling at me? Yeah. 25 points, one of nine shooting, that's strong. That's strong. And, and Jazz only shot one three-pointer, scored 15 points. And that's got to be close to a season high for Jazz and without making a three-pointer. Yeah. Uh, o- only five turnovers. Tonight they did lead to ten Colorado State points, so they converted on them. But just ridiculous what this team is doing on the on the offensive end, and it feels almost impossible that they scored twenty points in the first half against Air Force like two and a half weeks ago. <laughs> it's true. It's weird to think about. Yeah, I was gonna. Then the other part too, looking at the lineups, you mentioned Jazz, kind of in the beginning of the season. You know, he was really the only one getting a decent amount of love coming off the bench. And then we kind of had the must restart where he said, you know, throw everything out after that New Mexico game. We're restarting. You know, that's when you saw Jordan Brown getting some more love, Henson, Zuzwa, and then um, Jazz was kind of losing some time. But tonight, it looked like kind of reverted back to that, more or less. You know, he still get, did get some time for those other guys, but it really kind of just stuck with the core five mm-hmm. and then Johnson getting time. It, I, and my, I mean, obviously – no complaints. They're putting up almost 100 points. But you did see the, the rotation kind of fall back to that original. Not good. I'm not saying it's good. I'm not saying it's bad. That was just one of the things I was really noticing. Yeah, Trey Porter only played nine minutes. He had two fouls in the first four minutes. So that that hurt. Mm-hmm. And then Jordan Brown, six minutes. Corey Henson, eight. Uh, Nizre Zuzwa, three minutes. And those were first half minutes for him. He hasn't played in the first half in a while. None of those three between Jordan Brown, Corey Henson, and Nizuzwa, none of them even got up a shot. So some, yeah. some quiet minutes for those guys. I, I thought the biggest sequence of the game was about, it was about 6.30 in the second half. That's when Caleb rolled his ankle and it got, I mean, everyone in Reno, a collective, <gasps> a, a, a collective gasp because it did look awkward and fortunately he was okay. But at that point, it was an 81-72 game. Was as I mentioned, just less than seven minutes left in the game. Very much in jeopardy at that point. Still up in the air. The way Colorado State was was scoring the basketball, and Cody had a sweet fadeaway jumper from the elbow that pushed it back to 11 at that point, and that felt like a big bucket, um, considering how hard Colorado State was was pushing in the second half. And I always get nervous. I don't know about you, must. If I feel like sometimes he slows it down almost too early, mm-hmm. where the offense just totally dribble around. Yeah, right yeah. Around, and like, oh, uh, I kind of wish they pushed a little bit here. They and, started doing that against UNLV. Yeah, yeah, and UNLV started crawling back into it. So it's about with five minutes left. He knows what he's doing, though. It works. Uh, but I, I still, every single time, like, <laughs> man, it's, it feels almost too early to start stalling. 
Yeah, there's a reason why I guess he's down in the court in those nice polos and we're <laughs> in sweatshirts in our room. Yes, there is. <laughs> yes, there is. <laughs> uh, the other part I was going to talk about, we've everybody in the conference knows it, how big of a beast Carvacho is off the off the glass, and he's obviously getting the majority of Colorado State's dunk or rebounds, and he's just a monster. Aside from that. We out rebounded Colorado State tonight. Wasn't by much, 34 to 31. But when you got an impact player like him, who just is asserted his dominance throughout the season, you know, of getting that ball, mm-hmm. it's impressive that Nevada is still as scrappy as they are able to outboard that team. Yeah, we talked about it when we did our Colorado State preview the first time around. Despite having Nico Carvacho, the Colorado State's not a great rebounding team. They've gotten mm-hmm. a little bit better. But their rebounding margin is pretty much even. Yeah. So, I mean, they haven't been that dominant on the glass. I mean, he certainly has. We've well, talked about I'm some. saying you, you throw an X-Factor guy like that and you're going to – I mean, it's a coin flip almost. Yeah. I mean, you, I would – I'm surprised they're not a better rebounding team, honestly, with, with, with someone like him. We've talked about some of the 2020 games he's had this year. He was close tonight, 24 and 17, which kind of plays into the last point I wanted to make. It was an impressive win. Offense was epic, especially in the first half. That was the most success we've seen an opposing offense have against Nevada in a long time. You can maybe go to the New Mexico game. I kind of throw that one out a little bit though, just because the offense was so bad in that one. It put, I mean, it was just tough defensively from that point in terms of turnovers, bad shots. New Mexico was out in the lane. Um, so I don't know if I count that one as much. I, I would go back maybe to the UMass game down here in Vegas. I think it was like 110 to 87 the final score was. It felt like Nevada was jumping for every shot fake. There was a ton of backdoor cuts. They were there for the Rams. They shot 57% from the floor, the, the Rams did, and scored 52 points in the paint. So scoring, you're going to win more times than not in college basketball when you put up 98 points in a game that doesn't go overtime. It was mm-hmm. it was not perfect, though, and that was we, we've seen Nevada really get a lean on its defense this year and uh, just wasn't necessarily the case tonight. Well, the other thing, too, to watch out for is, I mean, aside from their record, Colorado, I mean, Colorado State's 9-14 or wherever they are, after this, they play Wyoming twice, a struggling San Diego State, uh, bad San Jose State. I mean, they could they could rattle off a couple wins here. Colorado State? Yeah. Yeah. I'm saying they're not, I mean, they put up 82 against Nevada, which is impressive. Nevada's defense has looked pretty good this season. I mean, they're popping 82 against us, and then you got those next four games that I wouldn't scare me too much if they're having that much success against. They could Nevada go on a run. Off. They could go on a run. Yeah. The, the fighting Eli Beckers in our season yeah. preview. He, 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 <laughs> that Colorado State was the team that he liked. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, there was a couple points. I was like, what is, how is this team 9 and 13? Like, they were throwing no look passes to wide open guys. I'm like, what, what is happening right now? Yeah, I'm just, I was just looking at their schedule and it just looks like the earlier the season, they just couldn't put it together, but they're starting to at least piece a couple things together. Starting to piece some things together. Unfortunately, Nevada has got them twice. And if Nevada were to see that Colorado State team again down in Vegas for the Mountain West tournament, I don't think this Nevada team would have much of a, a problem with that. Uh, this team has shown that it can do pretty much whatever it wants offensively against this Rams team. 
All right, so let's kick it now to our interview with Dave Almond. A really fun chat with him. I mean, you want to talk about people who know what they're talking about when it comes to NC, the NCAA tournament and seeding. So a great conversation about Nevada's seeding scenarios. And uh, here is that conversation. Okay, Dave, before we came on here, I, I was pumping you up about you being the most accurate bracketologist in the country over the last five years. And considering how many people put out brackets and do bracketology, that's pretty wild. So I guess for you, you've been doing it for a while now, decade plus. What's the secret? Well, that's a really good question. <laughs> um, if I knew the secret, then I'd probably be able to say I could keep it going. Obviously, Nathan, there's some um, some good fortune involved with that. Um, sometimes things break your way. You know, for me, when you get right down to it, and I remember the days when C.M. Newton was one of the selection committee chairs, and at their core, I don't think they've really changed a whole lot. They've added some new things and and maybe expanded their view on what metrics and analytics and this new net system we're going to talk about, mm-hmm. how all that factors in. But at the end of the day, your profile is who did you play, where did you play, and who did you beat? And the other stuff is important, but those are the kinds of things that ultimately when you're looking at a team's team sheet, that's really how it's derived. Who did you play? Where did you play? And who did you beat? And then obviously, who did you lose to as well? Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. So you, you hit on it. One of the things that has been added is, is this new NCAA evaluation tool. What are your general thoughts on it here as it's kind of rolling out in its first season? I think the premise of it is that the net is an improved, more analytical model of what the NCAA committee used for years, known as the RPI. Right. right. And from what we understand and what we believe at this point, basically the committee is going to use this new net formula. And I think it's noting or worth noting that while they've given us components of that, they have not shared what their actual formularies are within that. Um, and, and I say that in full disclosure, I am not a mathematician, so I'm not going to be one that's going to try to replicate that formula in some sort of massive spreadsheet, but there are very talented people out there who could do that. Um, so where we are today Basically, my understanding is that the net ratings are replacing the RPI. So if you look at the NCAA's team sheets, for example, when they divide things into group one or quadrant one and all the other kinds of things and how they figure their strength of schedule, it's now being based upon their net rating as opposed to the former RPI. Interestingly enough, I saw something that came out earlier today in which I believe this weekend on Saturday, the selection committee is going to do what they did last year for the last couple of years and release their top 16 seeds or their top 16 teams on their seed list. Right. And that much like it did last year, 
will give us a little bit of an insight into how this particular committee is thinking. And to your point about the net, a little bit of insight as to how closely that net is either going to monitor their view of the seeding process mm-hmm. or whether, in fact, it's going to be much more like the RPI, where it's first and foremost an organizational tool for kind of how they put teams together because there's still going to be some outliers in any analytical or metrical system that can't account for everything um, that you can also have to add in by watching teams play. Yeah. Yeah. And, and one of the teams that we're figuring is going to be announced uh, on the show, I think it's Saturday is when that thing is going to come out with announced top 16 is, is Nevada right now. You got them at your, I think got your 15 seed. Does that sound right? Time of recording. Yes. They're at, at, as of this morning, when we released the new bracket today, Nevada was 15th on the seed list, which would put them right in the middle of the four line. Mm-hmm. And, and there's some growing consensus there. You look at bracket matrix. That's kind of where they're starting to land. You can go a million different directions with this. The Mountain West is not a great conference. There aren't a lot of quad one or even a lot of quad two opportunities in conference right now. That considering, considering that, I mean, is, is there much this team can do at this point to move up or, or basically Nevada just have to win out and hope that teams ahead of us are losing? Well, I, I think it's a little bit of both. And I explained this when I was talking to someone the other day. If you think about it, Nathan, the higher you climb on the seed list or the higher that you are, continuing to climb becomes more difficult. Yeah. If you're down in the 38, 40, 42 position or in kind of that last four buys, last four in, you have a really good week, couple of good road wins and some other teams around you maybe lose, you can jump 10, 12 spots kind of easily because those profiles at that part of the seed list all have some significant flaws. And so changing that hierarchy is much easier to do. The Mm -hmm. higher you get, obviously, when you're competing against Teams like Villanova and Louisville and Purdue and Marquette and Houston and Kansas for a spot on that three line, passing those teams and getting up there is not as easy as, well, if we win, we'll get there. Now, having said that, obviously winning still matters. And although Nevada to this point doesn't have a quadrant one win, it doesn't mean they may not by the time the season ends, right? Because the numbers are always changing. But they are eight and zero as we record this in quadrant two. So, you know, that's still a lot of quality wins to a point when you're talking about Arizona State, which, you know, is likely to be an NCAA team at this point, assuming they don't just, you know, continue to throw away or have some bad losses down the stretch. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's nothing great. But there's also a lot of what you would call solid wins. So, you know, from that standpoint, you're right. The Mountain West didn't turn out to be quite as strong as we thought it might be going into the season. But we'll see where it ends up and we'll see what everybody else does. I do think, you know, that if Nevada, you know, ends with only one or two losses, um, they're certainly going to be in a conversation to be on that three line. And that's what will be interesting to see Saturday, 
because we'll get a better picture of how this year's selection committee is viewing their profile. Do they see them in that top 16 or do they see this team as more of a really good team, but maybe not in that protected seat category? And I think that's one of the things that makes this Nevada team so interesting or maybe even tough to peg this year. Eight and two, eight and oh in quadrant two. Don't have a quadrant one game as of now, but you have the Arizona State win at USC could maybe sneak in there at Fresno could sneak in there. And you compare that with like a, a team like Kansas. I think they have 13 quadrant one games. I, I mean, it's, is Nevada one of the tougher teams in the field right now to get a kind of feel for? Yeah, they would be, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and Houston's a little bit in the same kind of situation um, with Cincinnati being there um, and, and Temple and UCF having some higher numbers. You know, that can skew a little bit. But my experience over the years is, you know, for all the knock that we give the selection committee, I think they intentionally try to do a very good job of breaking these resumes down and trying to evaluate teams not only on the numbers on their team sheet, but also the overall landscape in which they play and how they play. And there is still a certain amount of whether you want to call it the eye test or how a team plays, how they control the games. Um, and to Nevada's credit, one of the other things that I think will help them is they did schedule well. Now, some of the teams didn't turn out to be maybe as quite as good as they thought. Yeah. But they did try to put together a decent to solid non-conference slate. It may have not been high on heavy hitters, but it wasn't also loaded up with a bunch of 250 to 300 net rated teams at home. You know, that I like to call cupcakes, which if you take those off of their effective record, sometimes that effective record isn't quite as pretty as what it looks like. So to Nevada's credit, and they've won a lot of road games. I mean, there's something else to be said for winning on the road. And, you know, Gonzaga has been in that situation for years. They have been sort of seen as a quality opponent for long enough now that they can get a lot of these other games, home and homes or away, because losing to Gonzaga, if you will, is not considered – a bad loss or a, a poor loss in any sense of the imagination anymore. Yeah. But winning on the road, particularly like this year in Nevada's case, they got their target on their chest every time they leave. So they're everybody's Super Bowl, mm-hmm. you know, knowing that the Super Bowl just ended. So you have to bring that. And so it's a lot of credit to that team that they're able to focus in and get those wins on the road they may not be the same quality as an ACC road game, but it doesn't mean that it's still not difficult to go onto the road to some of these places um, when everybody has you circled on the calendar. Yeah, and, and and one of the tough ones that's coming up is at San Diego State. I mean, San Diego State, it's a quad three game as it stands now, but Nevada as a Mountain West member has never gone to San Diego State and won in the Vieja Center. So how much do if that trend continues and and they they wear an L in that game how much do you think that hurts their resume? Well, you know, I always like to say teams don't play on an island nor do they play in that quote vacuum. So, you know, any one game you always have to be a little careful about 
putting too much emphasis on it. The question becomes down the road when you're thinking about a seeding situation for a team like Nevada is, you know, how do they play overall? So, you know, one miscue is just kind of that. It can be an outlier. Mm -hmm. You know, you start getting two or three of those when you don't maybe can't rebalance them out with that high end win. Then that probably takes a bigger toll on where that committee is going to see you falling out in terms of, you know, a seating situation. So, you know, one more loss like that along the way, probably not a huge deal. You know, it may alter their ceiling a little bit as opposed to like, you know, losing at Utah state. Yeah. Um, it's certainly not the end of the world, but if you're going to try to say, we would love to get to that three line um, or that four line, mm-hmm. you know, trying to win that game obviously is the, is the best, but you know, that's the way it goes. You got to control what you can control. And if, you know, Nevada goes into the NCAA tournament with two or three losses. Um, I, I definitely believe they're going to be a top half of the bracket team. All right. So it, if, let's say, Nevada goes to San Diego State, wins that one, goes to Utah State, wins that one, that'll be a quadrant one win. It looks like it'll stay there. Utah State's been pretty good with with the net so far this year. I mean, realistically, what do you think needs to happen for this team to get to the three line? And would you say two line is out of the question at this point? That's a really good question. Um, I guess I would say it like this. If obviously they need to continue to pile up the wins. So you, you need to beat the teams, those better teams on your schedule and then hope, mm-hmm. you know, that Arizona State continues to have a good rest of its season, makes the NCAA tournament, um, and doesn't just kind of falter in there. It certainly wouldn't hurt if a team like USC kind of, you know, got their act together down the stretch either, um, to kind of, to boo you a little bit. But then to get to that three line, they probably are going to need, you know, a little bit of help. Not a lot, but for example, maybe a team like, you know, Houston, Louisville kind of gets caught up in the attrition of the ACC, Wisconsin. Iowa or a Virginia Tech gets caught up in the attrition of the Big Ten and the ACC to where there's such a disparity there with, say, like Houston and Nevada, that the committee is going to say they have proven to be excellent over the long haul. We see the talent on the floor, and we believe that despite that their quadrant one wins may not compare, that we feel like with where their net is and everything else, that it's a good correlation to get them. Honestly, I don't see a path today to the two line. Okay. I think the competition right now for that, the way it looks today is just too strong for Nevada to get all the way there without some significant drop-offs. When you're talking about, Right now, the two line being Michigan, Kentucky, Michigan State, North Carolina, and then Kansas and Marquette right behind that. And knowing that Purdue has, you know, there's no easy games in the Big Ten, but they have a a favorable schedule down the stretch compared to Michigan and Michigan State. To think that all of those teams are going to fall back enough that there's going to be an opening on the two line, because you also have to account for 
Tennessee, Virginia, Gonzaga, or somebody else, if they don't end up on the one, if one of these other twos get up there, they're going to be sure. in that two line. So um, the math of it, as we sit here and, and, and talk today, um, probably doesn't add up to the two line. I still think the three line's a possibility. Um, and in which case, if you're on that three or the four line, there's a real good chance for Nevada to be in San Jose, which is a good starting point. Yeah, for sure. It would turn into Reno West. <laughs> yes. For, for that weekend. You, you look around the, the rest of the Mountain West. We already spoke to it. They've been, it's been kind of a disappointment compared to what some of the aspirations were coming into the season. Any chance at all Fresno or Utah State can maybe get in without the auto bid? I think it's possible, but you know, the, the detriment to that, of course, is the, you know, the bubble, and we kind of say this every year, so it, it's a little bit cliche. Well, we have a weak bubble. And certainly right now, we have some very, what I would say are kind of paper thin resumes when you look at the number of teams along that cut line that are either at or sub 500 in their conference and, or they played really good schedules. You know, a team like Florida, for example, who's played a really good schedule, but you know, like they're like one in seven, and I don't have it right in front of me at the moment, but like one in seven versus quad one. How does that compare against a team that that maybe didn't have as many chances, but overall had a strong season from start to finish? Yeah. I guess the second part of that, uh, Nathan, honestly, would be I do find it it's going to be a challenge for either one unless they are able to clip you know, Nevada at some point, um, whether that obviously be the auto bid in the conference tournament mm -hmm. or whether that be, um, you know, they beat each other and then one or, or the other finds a way to beat Fresno State to kind of get that, you know, signature win um, into that column for them. And this is, again, where we're going to see how the committee views the whole net thing. But if you look at Utah State, for example, you know, they have a quad one win against St. Mary's. But I think you and I and fans can honestly say that this year's St. Mary's team is maybe not what it's been in the past. Yeah. And this is kind of one. You know, we always used to have an RPI outlier here or there. <laughs> I'm yep. not so sure that may not be the case with the net this year for St. Mary's. So right now, for example, Utah State's best two wins are on a neutral court to St. Mary's and at UC Irvine. I'm not sure that just with the historical perspective we're working from here, yeah, knowing how this has gone, particularly in recent years, that that resume in and of itself, the way we sit today, is going to be enough if they get compared against some other teams that are going to have more of those quality wins. Now, if all those other teams keep flailing away and Utah State gets Nevada somewhere down the road here and they continue and pile up, you know, in with only six or seven losses, I think they're going to be right in that mix. And then a lot will depend upon what happens that last week and uh, through championship week. Yeah, UC Riverside just doesn't quite have the the zing <laughs> to 
doesn't jump off the page. Uh, I can't have one of the best bracketologists in all college basketball on the show and not pull it back outside of Nevada. So when we talk about Nevada being an interesting story, when you look around the rest of the college basketball landscape, what are a couple other teams that you're looking at and kind of maybe scratching your head or, or you're intrigued by at least? Well, I think one of the teams, you know, right now that has certainly kind of dusted off the ashes, if you will, from where they were, you would have to look at a team like Baylor. Um, if you look back to where they started the year, they opened their season with a loss to Texas Southern at home. And then in mid-December, lost a one-point game at home to Stephen F. Austin. And at that point, you would say, man, this is a tough year for yeah. Baylor. Um, I don't know what's going to happen with them. And now all of a sudden, they find themselves tied atop the Big 12. They've kind of had a renaissance. And while those two bad losses, and there's really no other way to say it, on that resume, they have really turned that corner. And they have nine wins now in quadrants one and two, if you combine those, Mm -hmm. um, including wins over Iowa State, Texas Tech, um, Alabama out of the SEC, TCU. Now, if there's still a little bit of a, a, a wait and see on Baylor, it's how are they going to fare on the road against the top teams in the Big 12? Right. So right now, they've really jumped back into that picture and, and what I would b- believe would be in the tournament today. But as with any team in the middle of the field to that bottom part, we still got a month or so to go here. Um, and they certainly have not built up enough cachet overall to just say, well, if I don't beat anybody else all the way, the rest of the way out, then some other things come back into play. So, but com- compared to where they were to how they're playing now, that would be one of the teams I think that uh, has really kind of, you know, come on the scene here in the last two to three weeks. Yeah, they're going to have a couple opportunities here in a couple of weeks at Texas Tech and at Iowa State in back-to-back games. There'll be a couple opportunities for them. Uh, out out west, looks like Gonzaga. They may not lose again. They're in a pretty good spot for the for the one one spot in the West region. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I've kind of left it like this. I told someone, Nathan, I I, I gave them about a sixty to sixty-five percent chance to end up there. And this is taking nothing away from Gonzaga because, you know, the argument that they don't play anybody in their conference has kind of gotten tired over the years. Um, we know the West Coast Conference hasn't been strong top to bottom. But if you look at who Gonzaga has scheduled year in and year out and who they've beaten and you take into account that both of their losses this year, one on the road at North Carolina, the other a neutral court game to Tennessee, both of whom are you know, right now projected to be top two seeds, both without one of their best players in the lineup. And the fact that they have a win over Duke, um, helps. you know, who is at full strength. They went to Creighton and anybody in the Big East can tell you going to Creighton and winning is never an easy proposition. Um, you know, they beat a Washington team who, again, the Pac-12 is down, but, you know, Washington's put together a very solid season. So, 
a little bit by default, but I also think it's a knock on Gonzaga to say that they, you know, they haven't earned it. If you watch them play and know the talent on that team and you look at the other metrics, whether it's Ken Palm or the new net ratings or BPI or other analytics, they all have Gonzaga right there in a the top four to five spot. So, and interestingly enough, you know, down the stretch, Michigan and Michigan State still play twice. Kentucky and Tennessee play twice. Duke and Virginia play again this weekend. So there's going to be some back and forth within that group. And that's why I think when all said and done and historically also the committee has shown a, a, a bit of a, a trend to if it's close to put a West Coast team like Gonzaga in number one in the West and then, you know, fill in the two spot. Um, and that also gives them the opportunity to keep other teams closer to their more natural region. Sure. You mentioned Washington there. Washington came to Reno in a scrimmage early in the season and whooped up on Nevada. It was kind of a wake-up call for the squad. They've run the table so far in Pac-12 play, and you hit on it. Pac-12, once again, is kind of taking its lumps. If Washington is to drop a couple conference games, they got a tough road swing this weekend going down to the Arizona schools, and then, say, maybe lose in, in the semi. The semis of the Pac-12 tournament, would you say that's enough for them? Because we've seen them win the Pac-12 outright regular season and not get in before. That wasn't that long ago. Yeah. Uh, this year, at least where we are right now, I would be very surprised um, if Washington, you know, for example, uh, losing a game this weekend to either Arizona or Arizona State on the road is certainly not a bad loss. I mean, granted, you know, Arizona's maybe not what we've come to expect from them, but it's not like they're losing to a team like, you know, Cal or something like that. Um, so, you know, Washington's got a little room for error. When you consider if you, if you look in and you really delve into it, you know, they lost by Gonzaga by two points, lost a close game to Virginia Tech you know, within 10 points. Um, and, you know, we we know at full strength Virginia Tech can be a load. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a two-point game to Minnesota, and quite frankly, that was a toss-up game back, you know, in November. Could have gone either way. So, you know, they don't have anything bad on the resume. They don't have anything outstanding. I don't think splitting in Arizona, you know, the, what would get them in trouble would be an extended losing streak, losing four out of five yeah. or – you know, you lose both of these, that probably maybe hurts your ceiling for seeding. But then, you know, if you delve out to a, a really bad team, you know, you might find yourself, you know, closer to that 10 line when all is said and done. But uh, if, as long as they don't lose four out of five or three out of four now and two out of three later, um, given where we are in the bubble, I think Washington would be probably okay. But then again, they probably don't want to take that chance and be in that situation where, yeah, we're on that cut line. Let's see how it goes. Mm-hmm. For sure. Well, everyone listening knows that I'm from Seattle. I got strong ties to the Huskies, and I like hearing that <laughs> from you. Uh, so, Dave, really so, incredible stuff from you, uh, uh, amazing insight. Really appreciate you taking some time to come on the Reno Slant. Uh, plug your stuff. What's the best way for people to, to follow your work? Well, the, uh, the website is uh, bracketville.wordpress.com. That's where um, kind of my online presence has been since 2008 when I first kind of got this going, um, you know, beyond the scope of uh, the house here. 
And then uh, I always love talking hoops, so you can find me at Bracket Guy Dave on Twitter and uh, join in the conversation. It's always a lot of fun. All right, Dave. Congrats on all your success you're having. Good luck the rest of the season. I know you're going to be busy here the next month and a half or so, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Nathan, I appreciate you having me on. It was a lot of fun. Really appreciate Dave taking some time to come on. Really, really awesome to hear from him, get his insights on Nevada, certainly, but the field at large. And if you guys aren't following him on Twitter, you really need to do that. Uh, he really makes it practical, easy to digest, some quick hitters every morning in terms of what outcomes mean, what are the big games that day. Uh, really, really awesome stuff from Dave. So glad we were able to get him on the show this week. Let's transition now to Saturday. Nevada's playing that squad, that, that team responsible for that one game earlier this year. New Mexico coming to Reno. Tip at three o'clock on CBS Sports. Yes, we know it's a revenge game. Nevada got absolutely dominated in every facet of the game at the pit. 85-58 earlier, uh, in January. So bro, what's something we need to know or remember about the Lobos? Well, I don't want to get too deep into this Mathis guy, so I'm going to go with a different player they got. <laughs> On Tuesday night, uh, their redshirt sophomore, Keith McGee, he had a season-high 19 points. He was 8 of 10 from the floor, so definitely maximized the shots he took. They were actually trailing um, against San Diego State by 1 at the half, but ended up winning by 13, so they had a nice little 14-point swing in the second half. So he, alongside Mathis, will be another guy to be watching for. My My first thing is... After beating Nevada in early January, the thought process was, okay, hopefully New Mexico can go on a run now and maybe make that thing look not as bad, not as egregious, and the exact opposite of that happened. New Mexico lost six of its next seven before, you mentioned Tuesday, handling San Diego State in the second half at the pit and ended up with a comfortable win, just their second win in eight games since beating the then sixth-ranked team in the country. Just bizarre. It was, did you watch that game by chance? Uh, I saw a couple of highlights, but I didn't watch it. Um, I wasn't actively tuning in. San Diego State made me look like an idiot because I tweeted, I'm like, man, here comes San Diego State. Starting to look pretty good in that game. Maybe make a push. And then came absolutely unglued in the second half. So New Mexico now 10 and 12, 4 and 6 in the Mountain West. Not great. Just add into the confusion that is the Mountain West right now. Sure. Looking back at some of the stats that we had against New Mexico and Albuquerque. Woof. Woof indeed. So this is to not, I mean, these are the stats you don't, you don't want to remember, but you need to remember. <laughs> so you need to remember what that pain was. They were shooting 33% field goal percentage, 18% on three pointers, 14 turnovers, and they had, they were outboarded 47 to 37. And if I remember correctly, they were like 58% from the free throw line. Like they yeah, couldn't make that, a free throw either. It was whatever was going on in Albuquerque that night, that little orange ball did not want to go into that hoop. Yeah, at least not when Nevada was shooting it. Uh, this is basically, it goes without saying now for Nevada's aspirations and what's ahead of this team. Pretty much every Mountain West game the rest of the way is. This is pretty much a must win game for Nevada. I mentioned New Mexico struggles since beating Nevada at the pit. The metrics show that. Ken Palm has not 174 uh, coming into Wednesday. RPI has not 174. 
The net has him at 176. So that makes this a quadrant four game. This could move potentially to a quadrant three. New Mexico would have to get past 160 as the cutoff and a couple good wins. I mean, if they beat Nevada, it'll end up being a quadrant three loss. Let's hope that doesn't come to fruition. But uh, quadrant four game, one of those not very helpful. One of those get in and get out type of games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm gonna go with a quote you used to say when we were growing up a lot is you're only as good as your last game. Mm. So that was that, that was that little rebuttal you used to use. I'm sure you still remember it. For anyone listening, you know, it was, if I ever beat Nathan in something, but he you know, consistently, but he had beat me in the last match, maybe say for ping pong or something, he would use that. So you just kind of talked about how New Mexico was played played very poorly after the Nevada win. But I'm gonna go, you're only as good as your last game, and they played <laughs> Fairly well against San Diego, San Diego State, and held mm-hmm. them to right around 40% shooting. They held them to under 40% in the second half. So, I mean, the defense, their defense did a, a pretty, pretty great job on Tuesday night. So that'll be another thing looking to see if that is going to be, if that's just kind of an anomaly game or if they're going to, you know, try and push it and use this for more than just one game. I mean, San Diego State's been a question mark in themselves. Yeah. But, but we'll see how the defense shows up. Yeah. Th- their defense showed up. Big time, the first matchup in January, and we don't know how much of that was New Mexico playing great defense, how much of that was Nevada's offense struggling and struggled for significant portions of the early, earlier parts of the season, at least. And we're going to see that zone defense again on Saturday. That's that's what that's their bread and butter now. That's what they do on the defensive end. It caused all sorts of problems back in the first week of January. This is not the same Nevada team from the first week of January. Things have really started to click for this team of late. Even with that zone defense, and you mentioned they look pretty good again against San Diego State on Tuesday night, they're still allowing over 73 points per game in Mountain West play. And that's pretty close to the bottom of the barrel in the Mountain West. Only San Jose State, UNLV, and Colorado State give up more points per game than New Mexico. And Nevada scored 58 the first meeting. Again, just a weird, weird result from earlier in the season. And hopefully uh, we can see Nevada have some sort of answer to that zone defense this time around. All right, who's your favorite player on the other roster? Vladimir Pinchuk. I went with a guy. I think we – didn't we both pick Mathis the last time? And, and that bit us in the butt. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, we're, so that's why I tried to steer away from that, tried to pick a guy that wasn't as, um, I'll say, vital – Okay. As a, as a player. That plays. Uh, and I guess in the point department. He is a 6'11", 235 pound forward from Schwelm, Germany. And I just looked at to see, honestly, I looked at his stats to see how well he did against Nevada, um, all that time ago. And he was one of two for two points. Not much damage. And I'm hoping for a repeat from this guy. <laughs> Yeah, picking Anthony Mathis both last, last, before the last time they played, and then he responded by scoring a career high 27 against us. So let's not do that again. I'm actually not even going with an active player on the roster. I'm going with the head coach, Paul Weir. Everyone in the Mountain West knows, or at least has some familiarity that he wears sweaters. It's like his thing. That's how he's branding himself. He's going to wear sweaters. And I'm legitimately curious how many of those red sweaters he has. Does he have just two that he rotates through? Does he have a closet full? Has anyone ever asked him? I think that's that's something we need to get to the bottom of. Mm-hmm. We got to figure that. I think that's our, that can be one of our missions with with this podcast is figure out how many red sweaters Paul Weir has. 
and they watching the game on Tuesday, it shed some light on it. I didn't know this about him. He's from Canada. It makes a little bit more sense. Starting to put the puzzle together. Starting to put the puzzle together. And, you, I mean, you wear sweater vests. So, I mean, maybe you guys have some sort of, of connection there. Maybe you can reach out to him and be like, bro, I got you. What, do all sweaters look the same? <laughs> if if you're still wearing a sweater in the year of 2019, you have some sort of connection there. There's a very small group of you. <laughs> yeah. It's like Arrested Development. There are dozens of us, the Never Dudes. <laughs> dozens! The Never Dudes. Well, I have a feeling this guy, like you're saying, he's it's one of two ways. He either has the Ken Bone stature. He's got one sweater. He rocks mm. that one sweater all the time. Ken Bone. Oh, solid name Ken- drop. Great reference there. Or I can just imagine like he has his top shelf in the closet is just 50 shades of red. Mm. And he probably also has a copy of that book underneath it. Yeah, I don't know. I'd be curious if they're all the same shade of red. If you have different shades of red, I would guess they're all the same. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I don't know. He, speaking of him being from Canada, he is just the third NCAA Division One basketball coach ever from Canada. He's the first to ever coach New Mexico State and New Mexico and kind of puts him even more uh, rare company. He has three master's degrees. Not one, not two, but three master's degrees. Human and health performance, sports psychology, and business administration, and he's not even done. He's getting his doctorate right now. What is wrong with it? What is wrong with this guy? (laughs) Yeah. So he's, he can't stay away from school. He's running a division one program. I don't know if he's still doing it. At one point he was coaching, helping coach the Canadian national team. Busy guy. I don't like him. Busy guy, Paul Weir. All right. Keys to victory on Saturday. What do you got? You obviously just got to flush the last game. New Mexico is going to be throwing at us very similar stuff that we saw. And I think at this point, especially playing at Lawler will help. But it's still going to be a little bit of a mental hurdle because that game sticks out like such a bad sore thumb right now that it's it's got to be kind of hard to flush it completely. And New, you know New Mexico is going to try and capitalize on some of the things they used when we were playing down in the pit. And just how ugly of a game it was. There's just so many. I think there's going to be a lot of emotions with this one because New Mexico kind of, I don't want to say ruined, but they kind of really put a, a crease in the ability for Nevada's, you know, the ceiling for this season. Yeah. That loss really kind of hurt it. So just going to go back to flushing it, forgetting of what happened to the pit and just moving forward for with how the team's been doing. I'm going to go. The exact opposite direction. I'm going to say don't move on from that. Don't forget about that. Remember that. And use that for this game. So, I, I mean, I, I was going to say play angry. That didn't just get beat at New Mexico. It got ass kicked at New Mexico. In every single stat, Nevada got worked. You mentioned on the glass 47-37. That's just getting out hustled. Mm-hmm. There was one team that won that game. There was one team that did not want that game. And Nevada was the team that did not want that game. I mean, it was just flat. It was, it, it was brutal. Fast forward to today, Nevada's a, in a completely different situation, playing much better basketball. Use that last performance. I know Musk still, I don't know if he's still doing it, projecting the score of that game to try to fuel this team to show them, that, hey, you aren't superhuman. You can be beat. Use that as motivation and remember that that, that is the team that ruined your potential run at a 
really rare season at going undefeated. And in the, the, at least the regular season with a zero in the loss column. That's yeah. completely – and you think if, that, if this team wins that game in early January, everyone's talking about it now at this point. Everyone. And New Mexico took that away from this team. So remember that loss and, and use it on Saturday it would be one of my things. What else you got? Yeah, I mean the way the NBA, the way the season's gone too is that they be had that game not happen the way it did. They'd be the last remaining undefeated. Mm-hmm. But you could say that for a lot of teams in a lot of different games. But I'm gonna go simple on the last one. Stop Mathis. <laughs> there is no need to go into any further detail. Just shut him down. Yeah, for sure. I mean, after career high against Nevada in the first go round, he's certainly gonna be a key. And we've heard this team talk at length numerous times about their defensive focus, taking away other team's star players and make someone else beat them. They just weren't able to do that even a little bit in the first meeting. My last one is going to be on the offensive end. Get to the rack. We've now heard Muss and Caleb talk publicly about Caleb's goal every single game to have 30 touches in the paint, whether that's dribble drive, offensive rebound, moving without the ball, whatever it is. This team is so much more dangerous offensively when he gets the ball in the paint because he draws so much attention it's a lot easier to shoot three-pointers when there's no one within five feet of you. And when Caleb can get into the paint, he can create those opportunities for guys like Jazz Johnson and even Jordan Caroline is shooting at a high clip this year. At New Mexico, that was 4 of 22 from deep. And that's before this whole inside-out, get the ball into the paint, kick it out approach really came to be for Nevada. So I'll be curious to see how much success Caleb has getting into the paint. Because that's one of the things that his own defense really tries to take away is a dribble drive penetration down low attack on the rim. All right. Mm-hmm. What do you got for prediction? 89-67 pack. I think they're going to blow them out. <laughs> we were, per usual, pretty close here. If I'm New Mexico, I am dreading this game. Dreading yep. this game. Because I think this team is going to use the last game as as fuel. I think Mus is going to use it, building up to that. You know the fans certainly remember it. Mm-hmm. I think this is going to get graphic. I got the final score, 88-65. Yeah. You know, uh, the way these two teams are, the home home court, mutually beneficial or for each team. But whatever the spread is, I'm taking Nevada. I don't even know. <laughs> It'll be juicy for certain. All right. Also this week. Nevada football schedule. We we knew who the opponents were going to be. We know who the home what the home games were going to be and the road games were going to be. Now we know the exact layout of the schedule. So we're we're going to share our quick thoughts on Nevada's 2019 football schedule after we take a quick break. Hey Wolfpack Nation, I'd like to talk to you about strength in the pack. Winning does not happen on accident. It comes from great coaches, top recruiting, and a top 25 infrastructure. That's the reason Strength in the Pack was created, a community-based nonprofit with the sole purpose to help the Wolfpack build top 25 athletics through small donations starting at just $7.75 per month. So be part of the growing movement that has donated over $180,000 to Wolfpack Athletics. Join today at strengthinthepack.org. Go Pack! So football season is... Officially over, but we're going to be talking football pretty much year-round <laughs> on the Reno slant. Nevada's football schedule for 2019 was released this week. And really quick, I'll go through the order. Saturday, that starts Saturday, August 31st at home against Purdue. 
Then Nevada goes to Oregon, then's home for Weber State, and then is at UTEP. So there's the non-conference schedule. Conference starts the week after the UTEP game. Nevada will be home for Hawaii, then has a bye, then home for San Jose State, at Utah State, at Wyoming, home for New Mexico, at San Diego State, second bye of the year, then finishes up the regular season at Fresno and versus UNLV. So looking at the schedule, bro, what are a couple of thoughts that you had? The first one is going to be nice. That tough stretch right there is at San Diego State and at Fresno. Mm-hmm. The one thing you need to keep note of it, and I, you know, people have been able to dissect this, is that it's going to be nice that they have a week off in between that. Yeah. A week off to rest, you know, from tra- especially for travel. San Diego State's historically been a tough place. You got a nice extra week to prep for at Fresno. Mm-hmm. And the greater thing is Fresno play, Fresno doesn't have that bye week that we have. And during that, Fresno plays at San Diego State. Mm. So they will also have a tougher game before they come and play us or before we go play them. Sure. What do you got? Uh, a couple of thoughts looking at it. The opener against Purdue, that's a big, big game for this team. Mm-hmm. You, you got a Big Ten squad coming to Reno, and that game is winnable. Nevada, Nevada again, a ton to change, or a lot's going to change, especially on the defensive end. Now it looks like Nevada's going to be without Gabe Sewell. He entered the transfer portal uh this week. So the defense is going to be almost entirely remade. If Nevada can build off of what really was a, a successful second year for Jane Ravel, that game is winnable. Purdue was 6-7 and seven last year. They're going to have a new quarterback. They're also entering the third year of the head coach, Jeff Brom. A little anecdote for, for that game. That's going to be Purdue's first game since Tyler Trent passed. And you, you would hope that maybe Nevada can do something for that football program because he really kind of captivated the sports audience of the country, Tyler Trent did. Uh, so it's really, really cool to see that story and see how the sports community responded to his, his passing this year. So that'd be Purdue's first game. So, you know, that'd be emotional for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's a huge, huge game for Nevada. No question. And then you go to Oregon after that. That's going to be brutal playing at Ots and that's never going to be an easy task. Then the next seven home versus Weber State, 10 and three in the big sky last year. They played great defense. At UTEP, 1-11 last year, not great. Then in conference, versus Hawaii, versus San Jose State, at Utah State, at Wyoming, versus New Mexico. All of those are winnable. All of them. At Utah State's probably the toughest one. They lost their head coach, so they got a new head coach. Gary Anderson is back, had a stint there, then was at uh, Oregon State and somewhere in the Big Ten as well. I can't remember. Matt Wells went to Texas Tech. They do have Jordan Love coming back to the quarterback position. He was a freak this year, put up crazy numbers. So that one will be tough. But those seven are winnable. And if Nevada can find a way to maybe go six and one in there, then you go into the at San Diego State, at Fresno versus UNLV, playing some meaningful football games. Some really meaningful football games. And it's looking like it's shaping up to be that that San Diego State game. If Nevada, if this thing can come together here in year three for for Jay Norvell, that San Diego State game is shaping up to be the biggest game of Jay Norvell's tenure here, at least at least to date. If Nevada can go on a strong run through that seven game stretch, maybe even steal a win in that Purdue game, um, I I I, I like the schedule. I, I think it lays out pretty nice for Nevada, and the, oh, the big th- games are late. Oh, see, I, I was kind of on the away games. I think are all right. I just 
think it's going to be another challenging year attendance wise for the, for the home games. Aside from Purdue and UNLV, I mean, yeah, Weber State's a good team, but not a very high profile team. Hawaii, that'll be, I mean, I like watching Hawaii, but not necessarily, you know, the whole fan base does. Then you got San Jose State in New Mexico. And I'm looking at from, we've already struggled so much at keeping, especially students at the game. I just have a hard time. I don't think that Nevada was handed any favor with those home games and already trying to deal with their attendance issues. Well, we already, we already knew who the home teams were going to be before the schedule release. So that's not anything new. Um, my, my thing is people need to look, this team won eight games last year, coming off a three win season, third win of a third season of a new, of a new uh, coaching regime. You know, the offense is going to be fun. Like, if you, if your real problem is, oh, I don't know if I want to go see Hawaii, then you aren't a fan. Like, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. Go to the game. I, I understand that it's convenient, but don't sit there at home and complain about no one going to games and then don't go to the game. Like, if everyone complaining about attendance went to the games, there wouldn't be attendance issues. <laughs> That's what it feels like. Everyone, everyone's chiming in about it. So go to the game and then bring a friend. There we go. Problem solved. Ease up on the student rules, then the kids will come. But. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let, let's jump into slants. Before we do real quick, we have one quick omission, omission from last week's show. Our fourth down quarterback, Quentin Conway, our man, at some point, we are getting him on the show. It, it's got to happen. He, he uh, was giving us a hard time on Instagram, said he could only, only give our interview with Jay last week a two out of three <laughs> because we didn't include the third phase of the game. I, I forgot to ask Jay about special teams. That's on me. I will own that. It hurts. Um, <laughs> it, it hurts to to have not asked about that. Uh, but as Quentin said, uh, you guys made it clear that you're not a math podcast, so I'll let it slide. Hashtag special teams. And that's why we love Quentin. That's why he's the we man. Need, and we need all the help we can get. <laughs> that too. So staying on football here, football season officially left us with that dud of a Super Bowl. That thing was an absolute snoozer. So we're going to get into three things we loved about the football season now that it's over and three things we hated about the football season now that it's over. So, bro, I'll let you, uh, let you start this one. All right, we'll start with things we liked just because I want to keep this positive. <laughs> but as always, as every season, I loved showing up Sunday mornings to the Tamarack and just seeing that I wasn't the only one with a problem. It's all you find comfort in community and watching people just bicker or be frustrated or not know exactly what picks they're going to do. And it's just that's the environment I thrive in. I love that. I love that every season of just people pissed, ripping tickets up. And the other part of it, too, is the Tamarack's really grown on me. And, you know, it's just a great setup. The book's right there. I turn around some Sundays if I'm feeling real frisky, you get a couple of chicken fried steak and eggs, a couple Mm. screwdrivers. Mm. You got the huge screens. I mean, that's my favorite thing is Sunday morning when, when, when I wake up early enough to catch when the you morning, wake up early enough. Yeah. When I wake up early enough to catch the morning games, that's my number one. My, my first one is that Nevada became fun again. Jumping from three wins to eight wins. I'm not going to list all the accomplishments. The defense grew tremendously. Nevada was really competitive in every game outside of Vanderbilt and Toledo. I mean, other than that, Nevada had a chance in every single game it played this year. Then of course you end with the really fun bowl win. Had Jay on last week talking about it. So in a year that we started doing this podcast, 
and this thing is really starting to grow. And I think part of that, some of some of the credit goes to Nevada football being fun again and people starting to care about Nevada football again. Is there room to grow in terms of interest from the fan base? Absolutely. But last year was definitely a step in the right direction. And so Nevada football becoming fun again was certainly one of the things I loved about uh, the 2018-19 football season. What else do you got? Yeah, I was going to talk about that and just you know getting to a bowl game, winning the, winning the bowl game in the fashion they did. It just was it was unexpected, so it was a very nice surprise that the football team performed the way they did. I was going to go also with our other college. Mm. Uh, it's one of those things I've really started to appreciate just seeing Chris Peterson in purple and gold. Yeah, because even as it's 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 bad that I was about to say as bad as UW season was this year. I still think back to when we were growing up and UW was winning one game a season. They had the winless season in 08 or whatever the heck it was. Yep. But it just makes me appreciate Chris Peterson that much more. That going to a Rose Bowl and I mean scratch the way we played that the that was a disappointing season. That, yeah, this year felt like a bummer and we won the Pac-12 and we played in the Rose Bowl. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I also am going national picture here. One of the things I loved is that Alabama did not win the national title. And not only did they not win the national title, they got smacked by Clemson. And mm-hmm. I think there's a strong chance that Alabama and Clemson play for the national championship every year for like the next 10 years. Cause it just kind of feels like that's oh, the direction yeah. it's, it's going. But I would much rather watch Clemson and Dabo Sweeney win it than watch Bama and Nick Saban. That that beatdown was so bad in the national title game that Nick Saban literally short-circuited. His computer-slash-brain didn't know what to do, and he told the media that he loved them at the end of that press conference. I thought that was hilarious. That was so bizarre <laughs> hearing that. It's like, what is going – that would be like Bill Belichick saying that. Yeah. The exact equivalent. Yeah. Did you, did you have another one? Yeah, I said those three. That Nevada one, I just was brief because – Yeah. I was going to touch on the same point. The, the last one before we transition to th- things we hated about the football season. I love that the NFL season was not nearly as political. Uh, mm-hmm. We we don't talk uh, hardly any politics on this show, and that's completely intentional. It only makes people mad. This is that's not the purpose of this podcast. We want to bring people together and build a community. We don't want to be pissing half of people who listen to us off. We're just not going to talk about politics. This is a sports podcast. But I love that the NFL season was far less political. We didn't hear half of what we had to deal with last year. Last year was just like, it feels like I'm watching the news every time I watch a football game between what happens and the reaction on Twitter and everyone getting pissed off all the time. There's still, it's still political, certainly. It's, there's still a political charge to it. It just wasn't what it was last year, at mm-hmm. least. Yeah, so, well, definitely, definitely wasn't as in your face. Yeah, it, it was in your face nonstop last year. Mm hmm. And speaking of things that we hated, all right, what, what are the things that you hated about this season? This is a continuous thing. It's one of those internal issues I need to work on. But I always get to the point in a season where I get used to football being on, mm. and I don't and I don't appreciate it for the moments like now when it's not on. Yeah. And I mean, so you just hated that it, you just hated that it ended. Well, more <laughs> or less, not as much I hated that it ended, but I get to about. Every year at about week eight, week nine in the NFL, maybe I had a bad week of betting. Maybe, I, you know, the, the Seahawks or the Huskies or Nevada's not doing so well. And I kind of get tuned out for, you know, not as invested for a couple weeks. And then when I get to this point in the season, I always look back and I'm like, why did I waste those two of three, two to three weeks 
of yeah. not paying attention and not caring when I should have. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Uh, my my first one, I'm also going Nevada here, is the UNLV game. I think a lot of people would probably say the same. As fun as this year was, that game was a black eye and is going to remain a black eye until November 30th when UNLV makes a trip up to Reno. I'm excited about the direction of, of the program, certainly. I think there's a lot of reason for optimism. That game, however, gives skeptics a yeah but for another year. Nevada had no business losing that game, losing to that team, especially with the start they got off to. That, that loss, that, that game is just ultimately it's a bummer. It yeah, really that's going to be a dark cloud that hangs over them for at least until the start of next season. Yeah. I'm going losing losing to uh, Boise, mm-hmm. the game in Reno. That was that was the game I had a couple had two buddies from Washington down. It was just really entertaining game. Nevada had chances to you know take the lead to win the game. They just couldn't get over that little extra oomph to take the lead, and it was just all more annoying when it's Boise, and it's all more the annoying when it's in Reno. Yeah. So that just kind of ended up. I mean, it was a incredibly entertaining game but it was just disappointing that the game ended the way it did yeah for sure my next one is on a much more personal note the fact that i went 26 and 3 in regular season in my two fantasy football leagues and i didn't win either of the leagues i went 13 and 0 13 and 0 that'll never happen to me again and i lost the first week of the playoffs after earning a first round bye that's that's with me forever. I'll, I'll never get past that. <laughs> All right, do you have another one? Um, that's nah. I think I just had those two. This it was a pretty positive football season for me. I, on the other hand, did win a league, so I don't have too much to complain about. <laughs> My last one. I'll go. I'll be really brief here. Make a thirty-seven yard field goal that Washington goes to Oregon has the Ducks beat. We miss a thirty-seven yard field goal and end up losing in overtime. Brutal. I mean, for a pretty fun year all around, you mentioned pretty positive year all the way around between Nevada, between Seattle, between UW. That was one of the most painful games of the year for me. I hate Oregon. That one stung. Before we, before we transition to our next slant here, hey, I remember you. What are your thoughts about the Alliance of American Football? I honestly thought it was just going to be kind of one of these joke leagues that I feel like these things start up or like say they're going to start up every five, you know, a couple years. They always say, Oh, we're two or three years out, but then it could just kind of dissolves and you never hear about it. Or at least that's my interpretation, but they're already making betting sheets for, you know, futures to win this league and stuff. So, I mean, I, I'm a little more intrigued. I'm not, in, I'm not expecting great football, but I mean, I'm at the point now where any football is football. So, I mean, I, I'm, <laughs> I don't really know what to expect. I'm sure they, I'm sure they got guys that are, you know, maybe recently exited the league or couldn't find a team to re-sign. Mm-hmm. They have a lot of those but guys. That's what I'd figured that it was made of. But I, I don't remember the exact names, but I've heard a couple of people talking, a couple of sports, uh, sports podcasts and news talking about. It, but it sounds like they got some pretty big names in the background helping get this thing going. I, I'm not gonna lie. I'm, I'm not gonna say I'm excited, but I'm very, very curious. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, the first games are, are this weekend, and I'm gonna watch. I mean, yeah. CBS is going to Brock, CBS, CBS, CBS they, got a, they got a TV deal with CBS. Yeah. Wow. So, I mean, it's, it's eight teams, 10 weeks long. It really, it's, it's for guys who are trying to get back into the league 
or guys who are trying to get into the league for the first time, trying to get to an NFL roster. So, I mean, there, there's talent. It's not mm-hmm. much of scrubs. And I think at this point, like, it's to me, it's like, I'm in. I just need a team to root for. Here's but, a question. Here's a question for you. Sorry to cut you off, but what is their rule eligibility rules? Can kids from high school hop straight into it? Oh, I have no idea. Cause this, if they could, this could really mess, it could mess up the collegiate system. I don't think that's the intention. I'm, I'm sure they have a similar rule. You got to mm-hmm. in college for three years or three years out of high school. They have some like fun rules too. Like you have to go for two. Uh, there's no onside kick. Instead, it's like a, a fourth and 12 from your own 30 or something like that <laughs> that you have to convert. The play clock is only 30 seconds. It's, uh, the games are supposed to be shorter in, in length in terms of timeouts they're allowed to take. Nice. I, I really like it. I, I think the team I'm going to root for is Salt Lake. The Salt Lake Stallions. Salt Lake Stallions. All right. Well, maybe I'll have to take a look at it and see who. You got to pick a squad. So there's a, so there's a team in San Diego, the San Diego Fleet. And then there's a team in Arizona as well. Yeah. And those saw, those I, are like the teams on the West Coast. I saw the Arizona team, I think, is favored to win it all. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. I like the Salt Lake team mostly because of their colors. Uh, they're, it's going to be interesting though. So they're playing. They're playing in Salt Lake. Their colors are light blue and silver, but they're playing at Utah at Rice Eccles, which is a red field. That's an interesting dynamic. So they're going to look like the road team for every single one of their home games. Okay, let's transition to Hey, I Remember You, one of our more fun slants that we do on a regular basis. Um, I will go. We've kind of hit on this already. Just Hey, I Remember You, the general feeling of loneliness when Super Bowl Sunday has come to a close, um, I it, just hitting on the Super Bowl really quick. It's it's funny the discussion that's been had nationally this year about was the Super Bowl entertaining? Was it a good game? Trey Wingo went on some huge rant. Oh, shut up! It wasn't. If you don't want to watch it, don't watch it. I'm like, no, I did want to watch it. It was a Super Bowl, and no one scored any points. It was boring. It was a good game. But just because it's, or by that I mean it, it was competitive, but just because the game is competitive doesn't mean it's exciting or that it's fun. I mean, it, Jared Goff stinks, by the way. Legitimately who called, stinks. Who, who called that? I said he choked during the regular season in some of the big games, and he was going to choke. Yeah, I mean, Bill Belichick had an extra week to get ready for him. It wasn't ultimately that surprising. But mm. what was surprising is that it, just, it was a boring game. It was boring. After we had championship week and we had two overtime games, two, and you're not asking for an overtime game, you're just hoping for a good game, a competitive game, which it was, but also an exciting game. It's our last game of the year. Give me, give me something here before you leave us for eight months. And it was just a dud. Yeah, complete dud. Yeah, what do you got? Um, mine actually just happened just recently. We had that storm rolling through Reno, a mm. lot of snow. But before we had it, I can't, I'm trying to remember exactly when it was. I think it was Monday or Tuesday. It snowed a lot. But the week before it had snowed a little bit, but nothing too bad. And I was driving to work at about 6.15 in the morning. And I forgot that everybody has to go 10 miles an hour on 395 when there's less than a quarter inch of snow. And it is the most infuriating thing. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> what what, should, what you what you could have gone with is forecasters calling for a ton of snow and then it not happening. Well, that's just that I mean, happens every year. That happens yeah, every time the snows. I feel that's like. not a hey, I know you because I mean that's just I mean for everything they do here, it's over amplified. <laughs> you can just expect it. It's like it's like Tahoe having Tahoe having clear water. We know it's coming. Yeah. My my last one. Hey, I remember you. 
East Coast bias. So I had a little Twitter exchange this week. Zach Braziller, I think is his name, of, of the New York Post, fired off this gem of a tweet on, on Monday. Nevada is ranked sixth in the AP. Best win is Arizona State. I do not get it. So I, I said something. Hey, look, an East Coast media member talking down, or I think I said bashing. Yeah. I think it's like I, bashing a, a West Coastman major. And he's like, not bashing, just speaking the facts or, or whatever. All right, dude. Here are the facts. Before Wednesday's game against Colorado State, Nevada was 20 and 1. They are 14th in the net, 17th in Ken Palm. They're 10 pin, 10 wins away from home. We're the most among all teams top 20 in the net. They are top 25 in adjusted offense and defense. Their non-conference strength of schedule was 44th, which is better than nine of the 13 teams ahead of it in the net, including Virginia, Gonzaga, Tennessee, Michigan, Michigan State, and Wisconsin. Nevada's non-conference schedule is better than all of those guys. And it was funny, some people saying, if you've watched this team, you wouldn't, you wouldn't think that, which is true. This team is starting to ball out. And the guy goes, I've watched. The resume stinks. Well, have you watched? Does the resume stink? Yeah, exactly. I saw that tweet. I was like, he's just contradicting himself right there. <laughs> yeah. You can't watch what this team's been doing and saying they don't deserve to be a top 10 team because they do. Um, so that was a, a funny exchange from earlier this week. It's like, oh, look, the East Coast has chimed in. How great. <laughs> yeah. Well, I thought your tweet back was even funnier where you're like, oh, gotcha. And he said like lovingly talking down upon. Yeah. He was like, I, I didn't say bash. I said, oh yeah, my bad. Lovingly talk, talking down upon. Yeah. I thought that was a nice little interaction there. All right, uh, games of the weekend. No football, um, but a lot of hoops. What are some games you're looking at? I'm going to two on Saturday. You have Fresno State at UNLV. That's at 2 p.m. Yep. Fresno, a couple of their conference losses, as you remember. Lost to Nevada, lost at Colorado State, and lost against Utah State. UNLV, lost at Air Force, lost at San Diego State, lost against Nevada, lost at They're Utah struggling. State. They are completely imploding right now. Yeah. But there's nothing more than I like than watching UNLV suck. So <laughs> I will probably tune into that game for the greater most part until Nevada falls apart. Yeah. Um, yeah, let's go. The other one real quick is just Utah State at San Diego State. Yep. San Diego State's been a, I mean, I can't figure out what's going on with them. Right. But looking from a completing, complete betters perspective, I don't know what the spread's going to be. I'm taking Utah State. San Jose State couldn't cover the spread, or San Diego State couldn't cover against San Jose State. So in my book, they're awful, and I'm going <laughs> Aggies. What, which games are you watching? Yeah, th- those are the two I was looking at also. Utah State at San Diego State. That's 7 o'clock on, on ESPN3. Basically, mm-hmm. every game now is a must-win for Utah State if they're going to get into the NCAA tournament with an at-large bid, and this would be one of them. And now they're playing at San Diego State. San Diego State's been a disappointment, but we all know the Vieja Center is brutal to win at. Um, so that's one of them. Fresno at UNLV. Uh, been a real rough go for the Rebels. Fresno State coming off a disappointing loss for them at home against Utah State uh, on Tuesday. So I'll be curious to see how they come out in that one. A couple other games I'm looking at in the Pac-12 in terms of how they relate to Nevada. Washington at Arizona State, Saturday at 7 p.m. Arizona State, as of Wednesday, is at 60 in the net. If Arizona State can get up to 50, that means Washington's win or Nevada's win over Arizona State would be a quad one. So Nevada will be rooting for Arizona State in that one. So that's another game I'm going to be torn watching. The other one is USC at Colorado. Nevada obviously has a win over USC this year, Saturday at 7 p.m. on ESPNU. 
USC entered Wednesday with a net of 78. They just need to get up to 75 for that win to be a quad one game because that was a true road game. That was at USC. So uh, a lot of games that Nevada fans may want to have their eyes on Saturday in terms of how they can maybe help Nevada's resume start to look a little bit better. Okay, let's kick it to social. Now, we got a ton of questions from you guys on Twitter, on Instagram, on email. You guys are the best. We had some new people asking questions this week, which was exciting, certainly. Uh, so we'll start on Twitter. Blake asked a couple. He said, if you look at the current odds to win the Super Bowl next year, who would you put money on any potential value picks? So who are a couple squads that you were you were looking at? So I got four. First one, I hate saying it, but Pats plus 650. If you can get them at six and a half to one odds, I, you gotta at least throw a little bit of money on them. I want to put a ton of money on them of late because I, I saw them at eight to one. You saw them at eight to one? Yeah. Uh, well, I was looking at, I'm not exactly sure how old that article was. It was a bleacher report article that had all the, uh, the payout spread. So I'm assuming it was right after the Super Bowl ended or nearly close. Yeah. Um, so I saw them at plus 650. Another, the other three teams, you got Bears plus 1200. You got the Saints plus a thousand. I think the Saints are going to be right up there. And then just for kind of gigs, and I thought it was kind of interesting that the Hawks got so close relatively mm-hmm. last year, and they were plus 4,000. Yeah, I was. I thought Seattle maybe have better odds too. Um, I don't know if they're kind of accounting into the Russell Wilson situation when you left in the contract, and you never know mm-hmm. what that's going to lead to. Um, a couple of the ones that I had highlighted, I had the Pats at eight to one. Certainly, I mean, I just, I just feel like that's just a safe bet. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know that you know at a minimum they're going to play in the AFC title game, so they just need to yep. win two games from that point. Um, so Pats, a couple other ones, San Francisco, in terms of value, San Francisco's fifty to one. You got Jimmy G coming back. They've had a ton of injuries. Everyone believes that um, what's his face is a good coach. I don't know about that. Shan- Kyle Shanahan. Kyle Shanahan. But 50 to 1, talk about some value with Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, I wouldn't mind throwing 20 bucks on that and seeing what happens there. The other one I, I liked, Indianapolis at 20 to 1. That feels like everyone's talking that team, that being a team on the rise. Andrew Luck looked awesome this year in his first year back. Now he has a full offseason to get ready. Um, their offensive line is freaking legit. They have a ton of money to spend. Uh, the Colts at 20 to 1 was another one I was looking at. Blake also asks, uh, with Nevada baseball starting, who is someone fans should keep an eye on? And what is your prediction for them? So Nevada baseball starts the season next weekend at Texas State, the three game tournament. They're playing Texas State, Texas State, Missouri State, Missouri State, uh, the new home for Josh Hall. That's where he transferred to. So he'll be playing basketball for Missouri State next year and also Utah. So a Pac-12 team in there. I know the team is confident. They're feeling good. The Mountain West Championships is going to be in Reno. That certainly helps. So why not? Why not say they win that tournament and go to the NCAA tournament? They haven't been in the NCAA tournament since 2000. And they've won a conference championship three times since then, including last year in the regular season championship, I should say. So uh, no reason not to be optimistic about this upcoming squad. Uh, a name that fans should keep an eye on. I'm going full homer here. My boy Ryan Anderson, the tallest and skinniest left-hander in the Mountain West. I don't know if that's true, but it's, it's got to be close. Ryan went to Spanish Springs, got to know him a little bit for my days of the trip. So I'll go with Ryan. I think I saw, it was Baseball America ranked him 
99th, 90, somewhere in, in the 90s is a top 100 junior in all of college baseball. Could potentially be his last year with, with Nevada. With, with, he's he's going to go play a pro ball at some point. So I'll, I'll go with Ryan. Austin asks, over under how many years Marvin Menzies has left at UNLV? I'll set it at one and a half. You got a thought here? Well, you've seen the way UNLV runs things and who they've let into that school. So I'm going to say those idiots are going to let him stay for at least two more years. So I'd take the over. You got the over. So Marvin is finishing the second year of a five-year deal. He is going to make $700,000 in each of the first three seasons. So 700 last year, 700 this year, 700 next year. Then the last two years of the contract, it bumps up to 800000 And after this season, his buyout, there isn't, the buyout is just what's left on the contract. So if they were to fire him after this season, they'd owe him uh, $2.3 million. And I don't know that that's going to happen. If they were to fire him after next season, the buyout is $1.6 million. And I'm not sure that's going to happen either. And especially the complete circus they had recently trying to hire a basketball coach with Chris Beard there for about three beers and then leave him for Texas Tech. <laughs> um, I don't know that they're necessarily excited to start uh, another you know, head basketball coach hunt. They, they have a new athletic director, <laughs> and she's not winning a ton of fans down here talking to some of the UNLV fans. So um, I, I would take the over as well. Over one and a half years left for Marvin Menzies in Vegas. Over on Instagram, Marcus asks the 1992 Dream Team versus the 2012 Dream Team. What do you got? The 92 team. Our generate, the players we got now are a bunch of wussies. <laughs> they get, they get bumped and they start flailing all over the place. They, they couldn't handle Barkley backing up on them. <laughs> yeah. Two completely different styles of basketball for certain. However, athletes now are bigger. They are faster. They are stronger. They are more explosive. They have better nutrition plans. And most importantly, the steroids are better. So for those reasons alone, I'm going for it with the 2012 Dream Team. Nah. <laughs> Eric asks, better beard, James Harden or Nathan Schaup? And I think this is a great question and totally fair. Do you want to start it off? Because <laughs> since you're the one of the, the the points of the question, I would love to have a James Harden beard. That thing is so thick and, and yeah. well groomed. There isn't anyone on this planet I think that has a better beard than James Harden. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. I mean, that thing is just, that thing is groomed to perfection. It literally has the little, the only little shrub, you know, like you can just barely see his lips and his mouth because yeah. it's just a little portal there, but. A little portal. Yeah, that, <laughs> yeah but that, that beard's nice. Yeah, I, I, I have no problem playing second fiddle to James Harden when it comes to beard game. Uh, Gabby asks us, does Nevada's coaching staff have too many polos? You can never have too many polos, first off. You cannot have too many polos. I will say this. The Nevada coaching staff does have too many polos. One, they're sick as hell. But two, it's just irresponsible to have that many polos. So I think they need to start sharing those, especially with maybe hosts of a certain podcast devoted to Reno sports, especially a, a host who maybe lives in Vegas and needs some polos to wear on the golf course this summer. Um, so I, I, no, I would absolutely say they have too many polos. I'm getting I'm getting first swings at those polos. You're you left, dude. They have some sick polos. Like I know that. Th their polos are better than the uniforms. Like I get more excited when they release they re they release the uniforms and they feel like this is what the coaches are gonna be wearing too. And the coaches stuff is way better than the actual. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, fake map mummy. This is one of the funnier questions I think we've ever gotten. I was doing some thinking here and I was legitimately laughing. <laughs> he asks, what is more fun to put the phrase between the sheets after? Chinese food fortune cookies or Coach Must tweets? So here's what I did. I, I grabbed a few of Coach Must's tweets and I grabbed a few fortune cookies and I'll read, I'll read them. And then you tell me what's funnier. Okay. All right. <laughs> so I'll, I'll alternate. The, the must tweets, I did two of the most recent, and then I went and found one as well. So must tweets, we want person development in our program just like we want player development. We want our players to develop and respect, to develop into respectable, polite young men as well as great basketball players in the sheets. Fortune cookies, be on alert to recognize your prime at whatever time in your life it may occur, in the sheets. For, I'm gonna go. I'm going must. I got, I, got a, I got a couple more. Yeah, you're gonna give the, the nod to, to must there. Okay. Yeah, I'll give. I'll do the individual. So nod. we got three rounds. So must gets the first round. Second round. For great teams, playing hard is just a daily way of life. They don't have to think about playing hard. They just do it all the time in the sheets. Fortune cookies. Your road to glory will be rocky but fulfilling, in the sheets. That's definitely the Chinese. <laughs> the fortune. All right, here we go. Game three. Game seven. <laughs> Great players help their teammates find another gear in the sheets. Oh, my God. <laughs> Don't worry about money. The best things in life are free in the sheets. I'm going must on that one. <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was too perfect. <laughs> All right, it's decided. Uh, Coach must tweets. More, more fun to say the phrase between the sheets after. <laughs> great, great teammates help between the sheets or whatever the hell. <laughs> and then the last question we got from Andrew. If each Nevada player were a Mortal Kombat character, uh oh, who would they be? Personally, I think you gotta get Raiden for Jordan Caroline, Scorpion for Caleb Martin, and Sub-Zero for, uh, Cody. We get ragged all the time for not knowing any movies. I don't know a single Mortal, Mortal Kombat character. I was too busy playing Mario Kart in my youth. <laughs> mm -hmm. Not not a Mortal Kombat podcast. I think I played that game once at like a post-soccer party celebration and got my ass kicked, and I don't think I ever played again. <laughs> yeah, so not a Mortal Kombat podcast. Sorry, Andrew. Come back to us with some Mario Kart characters, and we'll, we'll have some stuff for you next week, maybe. All right, Random Reno, what do you got? So I don't know if you ever dug around on Reno's Wikipedia page. Tons of great stuff on there. Oh, I'm sure. But the Truckee River serves as Reno's primary source of drinking water. Duh. It supplies Reno with 80 million gallons of water a day during the summer and 40 million gallons of water during the winter. 80? That's a lot of water. 80 in the summer and 40 in the winter? Which made no sense to me. But yeah, that's why be the other way around. But that's why Wikipedia is Wikipedia. Mm, good point. W Spin zone. <laughs> that, that's some Wikipedia knowledge. Uh, my, my random Reno is one I had not heard before. When you think of a Reno nickname, what do you think? Like a nickname that people have for the city of Reno. Dirty R. That's what I call it. Dirty R. Biggest little city. Like those are the, those are the main ones. I'd never heard this one. The Neon Babylon. I've never heard of that either. The Neon Babylon. I have no idea. I'd never heard of that, heard that one before. Uh, I like Babylon, it. obviously, an absolute empire in Mesopotamia, 
way back in the day. Um, some, some knowledge for you guys here. It was the most powerful ancient empire for many, many years once upon a time. So my only, the only rational conclusion we can come to is that Reno is the neon Babylon because it's home to Nevada and Nevada is far more powerful than UNLV in state. That's what that's I'm going, a, that's what I'm going with. That's, that's sound logic. It's airtight. It cannot be argued. It's just a fact. That's, an, that's another fact. And that, that wasn't even Wikipedia. That's common knowledge. They should <laughs> teach that throughout the state. <laughs> and that's our show this week. Thank you to every single one of you for listening. Make sure you subscribe, you guys. Uh, thank you to Dave Amon, founder of Bracketville, for coming on some really, really great stuff from him. Breaking down Nevada's potential seeding in the NCAA tournament coming up here next month. It's crazy that thing. We can say that it's next month. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at Shop Adam at Shop Nathan. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the Reno Slant. Once again, shout out to all you guys who are following us on Instagram, having a ton of fun over there. Some exclusive Instagram content. Um, that's the sky's the limit in terms of what we can do with that thing. So uh, make sure you follow us on Instagram. Tip on Saturday at Lawler, 3 o'clock versus New Mexico on CBS Sports. Have a great, great weekend, you guys. Go Pack. Thanks for listening to the Reno Slant, the podcast for Northern Nevada sports fans. Until next time, and we're still not talking about the Loyalist Chicago tournament game.